Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, hi. Usually I talk about our Patreon page right here, but I thought I'd give you a break from it this week. And if you're grateful for the break, make sure to sign up at Patreon.com slash Bob Suska Show. I'm, I'm kidding. Not really. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. People ask me where you... Uh... You know, where you, where you must have been the class clown. <laughs> and I say, uh, no, I wasn't. The Bob Seska Show. <laughs> I love that clip so much. From our nation's capital, it is Thursday, September 23, 2021. And this is the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, how you doing? What's up? What's happening? My name is Bob. Hi. Hello, Bob. Oh, hi. Day 245 of the Biden-Harris administration, 412 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. And oh my God. Oh my God, he's back. Yeah! Yeah! The goth ninjas are here. It is Dos Gothicas Ninjas. I think I got that. I think I did that. Ninhas Gothicas. Ninhas Gothicas. Dos Ninhas Gothicas. All right, it is Jody Hamilton from the From the Bunker podcast, from the bunker.com, also sexyliberal.com, and patreon.com slash from the bunker. And oh my God, he's back. David T Rex Ferguson is back in the house. Yes, I just said in the house. That's how excited I am. I. He's in the shizzle. Yeah, I'm going to hate myself. Boy, are my tiny arms tired. (laughs) (laughs) All that packing and unpacking, town to town, up and down the dial. Uh, How are you? How's it going, man? My boss was like, have have you been moving for like two months now? I'm like... (laughs) It feels like it. Yeah, I was glad to hear you found your box with the t-shirt and underpants in there. Dude, it was a total mystery. I was like, where is all my underwear? I can't find... Wait, uh, and, I mean, and I uh, and I even went back to the old house and looked in the washer yeah. and dryer to make sure that I hadn't like left a load of laundry and nothing, nothing. And then night before last, a box fell out of something, and I was like, "What's in here?" And I cut it open and was like, "Oh, thank God!" Underpants! And, and, <laughs> yay! Step one: collect underpants. Step two: question mark. Step three: profit. That's how it goes. <laughs> Well, I mean, like moving is like, such a fuck up because it's like you're yeah. moving because you can't afford to buy the house you're in. And, oh, yeah. You know, they're going to raise the rent or sell the house or whatever. So, mm. like, you have to pay two months rent at once mm-hmm. right. to right. get into a new house and a pet deposit, which is an, a lovely new thing. And all the Athens landlords have decided to do. Oh, of course. Yeah. Pet deposit on a T-Rex is very high. <laughs> Exactly right. Is that, I mean, I guess T-Rex is way more than the 10 pounds that you're allowed with certain uh, apartment buildings. Like a 10-pound animal yeah. uh, like is the limit. foot pteropod, that's going to be $800 a month. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, in Hawaii, when I lived in Hawaii, it was uh, one nightmare like that after another. It had a lot to do with the fact that uh, we had two giant dogs. And the concern was are you able to carry the dogs down the stairs in the case of an emergency? And we would say yes, and they would say, well, no, you can't. <laughs> of course you can't. And we'd say, what, is, what are you talking about? And this is, well, it's the rules. It has to be, you know, basically a chihuahua and nothing larger. A cat, chihuahua, or no animal at all. 
And uh, there was one time, in fact. So wait, why can't the dogs walk? I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's just a ridiculous. It's the floor it was lava. A, is it that was. What a, I mean, it's Hawaii. It always it was is. Hawaii the thing, floor yeah, so. is odd. It's definitely that. <laughs> and so, I mean, there was one time where we moved into this apartment, and the next day, the day after moving in and spending all of that money to move in, as you know, David, it's expensive to move mm-hmm. and stressful, and the process of it. And then you get in there, and the day after we moved into this one place get a knock on the door and it's the owner of the apartment saying that we have to move out why because they didn't know that there's a condo association that doesn't allow the fucking dogs and so that touched off what turned out to be four months of intense stress and negotiation and fighting the condo board and all kinds of back and forth. Suffice to say, we had to bug out of that apartment on Christmas Day. How much fun was that? <laughs> it was wow. just such a... Merry so Christmas. Yeah, I know. I know. Don't unwrap your presents. Just throw them in the box. So the <laughs> point being is I'm watching you go through this uh, harrowing move and having to leave this place that you love so much and move to this other place and all the back and forth. And I know exactly how that feels. And it sucks. It's shitty. No, I mean, moving in the best of circumstances is a giant hunk of crap. Uh, But moving under bad circumstances is a thousand times worse. So uh, we all... Do you guys hear my cat raising hell at the door? (laughs) I've closed a door and she just can't handle it. She's having a meltdown. I'll be right back. Yeah, I was just going to say, are the cats handling it right? Because sometimes the cats get into a new place. Cats don't like like that. They don't like it at all. I mean, they're kind of happy that we're here, mostly. But there's definitely been some... So torn up. What is the and, deal? What is going yeah. on, you bastards? That's what your cat is thinking right now. I remember exactly. when John Melendez was moving, one of his cats hid <laughs> while the movers were there. Yeah. And got into like between like the wall or some shit. Got into oh a my vent. God. Yeah, and hid the wall and the and the actual outside wall of the house. Yeah, yeah and and he was he, they finally found the poor thing, but the cat was so freaked out because all sorts of hell was breaking loose. And and it freaked you know he thought his cat had died but they finally Jesus. found the poor thing but yeah I mean that's that's yeah cats do not like that that's why you put them in carriers yeah we all embrace you David we all we're all like giving you virtual hugs throughout this process so I hope mm-hmm. you felt the uh, the good vibes uh, coming your way uh, down to uh, yes. all the way down Thank to, you to everybody yeah. who sent messages and tweeted and. All the support that I've, you guys really, it's been. Yeah. It's, yeah. My favorite part was when you texted me going, Ben is fine just living in a cardboard box and blah, blah, blah. Will you come over and help decorate? And I'm like, you think I can decorate? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you basically were like, Lonnie's the tasteful one in this family. Hi. I just like, I moved in with a futon yeah. 27 years ago for fuck's sake. You know, hi. Well, you know, speaking of Lonnie, we've got a world premiere song that we're going to play after the first commercial break. And it is uh, a song performed by the great Jody Hamilton, produced by by Lonnie, of course. And it's a cover of uh, Chesney Hawks, uh, one of his songs called uh, Stay Away Baby Jane. We're going to play that today on this show are we ready i mean is it okay if i play it i mean i think we we covered this yes no chesney said it was okay he when i sent him the final because i told him i said if you don't like it i will not share it with anybody (laughs) what's not Um, to like oh my god it's such a great song you know and then he liked the fact that i didn't change the lyrics so it's very gay Mm. It's wonderful, and your performance is amazing. In fact, you know what? Both songs we're playing today are uh, covers, and uh, my two favorite singers, you and Cece Grace, uh, we're going to hear from both of you today, uh, covering uh, other people in in a much better way. I mean, no offense to Chesney, and no offense to the uh, original recording artist who who did the song that Cece Grace is covering, uh, but I like you guys better. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm, You're I'm just a little biased. It's I'm okay. very, very biased. So, uh, Okay, so Joe Biden isn't playing. The White House, this is the news that broke uh, maybe about an hour before we started recording the show today. The White House intends to release Trump-related insurrection details to the January 6th committee, defying, defying all of that executive privilege crap that... You know, Trump's going to try to pull. I'm sure he's going to sue. I'm sure he's going to sue because he sues everybody. We're going to be talking about the Mary Trump lawsuit in a bit. But in the meantime, the White House is leaning toward, this is according to Tom Hamburger and his writing partner, Brian Hotdog. Um, (laughs) 
Hamburger. You hamburger. just couldn't let it go, could you? you just, I know. Well, look, I mean, it's You know, he's there. never heard those jokes in his whole life. If he happens to be listening, Mr. Hamburger, I apologize on behalf of my co-host for you know what? bringing up all of your childhood trauma. I apologize to both Mr. Hamburger and Mr. Hot Dog as well. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Tom Hamburger uh, <laughs> writes the White House is leaning toward releasing information to Congress about what Donald Trump and his aides were doing during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, despite the former president's objections, a decision that could have significant political and legal ramifications. Oh, you think? But I love this, that this is despite the former president's objections. You know what I think? I think this is because of the former president's (laughs) objections. I think it's like, you're not going to tell us what to do. We're in control of this building now and everything that happens in this building. You're not the president anymore. You don't get executive privilege anymore because you're just a glorified golf caddy. You're a retiree at (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. That's exactly right. You're haunting the golf course at Mar-a-Lago. That doesn't mean you get special privilege anymore. More. You get Secret Service, but that's about it. The th- more that comes to light about how fervently they were trying to stage a coup. Trump said he will cite executive privilege to block information requests from the House Select Committee investigating the events of that day, banking on a legal theory that has successfully allowed presidents and their aides to avoid or delay congressional scrutiny for decades, including during the Trump administration. But the uh, Biden White House. Uh, plans to err on the side of disclosure given the gravity of the events of January 6th. Look, uh, you got to pull out the stops with this shit. I just wrote a piece for uh, the Banter newsletter, uh, thebanter.substack.com, about all of this crap and about how our system just isn't uh, set up to deal with an insurrection of this nature where you've got a sitting president ordering his fanboy militias to invade and occupy the fucking Capitol building. This has never been done before, and so therefore, we don't really have any specific guardrails or any sort of uh, means of accountability when it comes to this stuff. Means of accountability that rise to the level of the seriousness of this. And I know we've got, what, 650 insurrectionists now who have uh, either been charged or who are being investigated and some of them are just being charged with like trespassing and getting like these little eight month sentences and things like that. But look, I mean, there are plotters in this conspiracy to invade and occupy the Capitol. There is Donald Trump. There is Donald Trump Jr. There is Eric Trump. There is Ivanka Trump. There is Jared Kushner. There is Steve Bannon. All of these characters, in some way, need to face legal ramifications for this. And I'm not talking about, oh, we're going to give you a slap on the wrist and some community service. I'm talking about something that makes it a huge deterrent, because if Donald Trump doesn't do it again, someone else, one of his copycats, Mm -hmm. is going to do it again. Uh, After the Lincoln assassination, one of the conspirators, this guy George Atzerodt, uh, fled Washington, D.C. He was supposed to murder Andrew Johnson, the vice president. Instead of murdering the vice president, he went and got hammered. So he didn't do a goddamn thing. And uh, after he heard that Lincoln was shot, Atzerodt fled to a part of Maryland called Germantown. German, we all know Germantown. Guten Tag, mein Fräuleins and Fraus. And so Germantown. That's my impression of George Atzerodt from the Lincoln assassination, one of the conspirators. Uh, this is all to get to the uh, point that. Um, The assassination took place on April 15th, 1865. George Atzerodt, uh, Mary Surratt, and the other conspirators were all hanged for their crime in July. Justice was handed down in the Lincoln assassination conspiracy uh, between April and July of the same year. That's how rapidly that went down. How many conspiracies have we had (laughs) to assassinate the president since then? We kind of had one, I guess, in the 1960s with the JFK assassination. Uh, But, I mean, there hasn't been anything like this since then. And I I like to think it's partly because the swift justice that was handed down in the wake of the Lincoln assassination. Mm -hmm. The attempt, the very similar attempt to overthrow one of the branches of government. That's what John Wilkes Booth wanted to do. Because he was not just Abraham Lincoln he wanted to murder, but it was the vice president, it was the secretary of state, it was the secretary of war. The heads of the Lincoln administration were all to be murdered that night. And so we need to have the same kind of thing here. And I'm not saying hanging them. 
I'm saying swift and harsh justice for people who tried to overthrow one of the three branches of government because Donald Trump had his little tiny baby feelings hurt because he lost the goddamn election. And you know what else? This is the other part of the story today. He knew mm-hmm. that all this election fraud bullshit with Dominion and all the rest of it was phony baloney horseshit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the latest uh, information we've gotten through uh, court filings. Former President Trump's campaign reportedly knew soon after the November election that claims it made about voting machine irregularities leading to his defeat were inaccurate. Court documents released on Monday show that uh, by the time a campaign news conference Monday. on the issue Monday took place, <laughs> an internal memo had already been circulating confirming that the claims about Dominion voting systems and software company Smartmatic were false, according to the New York Times. At the November 19 news conference, the team of former president's attorneys claimed Dominion was in cahoots with financier George Soros and Venezuela in an effort to steal the election from Trump. This is made up, and we've also heard reports that Rudy Giuliani was constructing this plot the very night of the election, before anyone uh, in the White House went to bed, Rudy and his little boy were up getting hammered in the White House and talking about how we should just say, nah, this is irrelevant. Whatever the media says is irrelevant. We won the election. That was Rudy's recommendation to Donald Trump. And so this is, uh, the plot is obvious. The facade is obvious. The bullshit is obvious. You know, their conspiracy theory is so obviously bogus. So, but yet they proceeded with it anyway. And they're going to try it again anyway. It may not be in this particular form, but version 2.0 will be some other form of awfulness. And bear in mind, as I was doing some uh, research yesterday in preparation to write this article, I recalled that, Something about Trump thinking that he deserved a redo on his first term. Do you guys remember this? Uh-huh. The redo? Yeah, and it turns out, yeah, I wasn't uh, misremembering that. He really did say that his first term deserves a redo, meaning that not only does he get a second term in his head, but he should get a third term. Right, I remember that, yeah. So, right, so I he do said... I vaguely remember that when he was like, it's never before has anyone in American history faced... Yeah. The, sp- the smear... Oh, God, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> glad. You know, to not hear his voice for whole days at a time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sweet well, nectar to my soul. Well, the thing that, <laughs> that, that, that memo was interesting was at one point in one of the bullet points, they literally write... And at this point, the Democrats are going to go crazy. Oh, yes, I know. In the Eastman memo. It's like the the Democrats will all go crazy. Like, you know what? No shit. Everyone's going to go crazy. And they were counting on it. Tom Hartman started talking about the 12th Amendment issue a couple of years ago with regard to the 2020 election. Oh, really? Yeah. He did. Because it has happened before. Mm -hmm. But it was legally done. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. What was it? Was um, he mentioning uh, Andrew Jackson and uh, and John Quincy it, Adams? Was that the? No, it wasn't that. It was in the. It was in the eighteen. It was the eighteen seventy two election. Oh yeah, J- Rutherford B. Hayes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Hayes and Tilden. Okay. And Tilden won both the popular vote. I'm right with Tilden, I think. Yeah. Um, and and the electoral college, but because the southern states were still mad about, I don't know, Reconstruction and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, they decided to send separate state electors up. Hence, nobody got all of the electoral votes. Therefore, the state houses could then elect President Hayes. And it was basically, it was a a, a compromise election Mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, So, I mean, it has happened, but at that point it was somewhat legal. Whereas what this memo is suggesting is Pence just pretends that there are separate slates of electors being sent up, which there weren't. Right, right. And in fact, that's all based on a meme that was Uh removed from Facebook because it was so bogus. There was a meme going around saying that six states have two sets of electors, one for Joe Biden, one for Donald Trump, and that they're both going to be sent up to Capitol Hill. This is the basis of, as you say, the entire Eastman memo, this plot that actually was executed, that Donald Trump pursued by trying to get Mike Pence to do exactly this. Everything that you see in that Eastman memo, that was the Donald Trump plan, at least as it started, for January 6th. And if that plan with Mike Pence didn't work, it's let's send the fanboy militias down to invade and occupy. Mm. That right. was the plan B. Right. But the first part of it 
was entirely based on this ridiculous meme. Now, what happened was in those swing states, there were shadow electors that turned up and cast their ballots, although that doesn't matter because those electoral votes were never uh, certified by the state legislatures in those swing states. But the part of the Eastman memo that should give everyone uh, significant concern, I mean, on top of the fact that they were going to overturn the election and exploit chaos in order to drag the thing into the House of Representatives where Trump would win. So we're talking about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia. All of those votes for president would have been all thrown out, according to this plan. Part of the plan calls for Mike Pence to say, okay, well, since we've got two sets of electors, we can't count any of the electors from those states. So they're off the table, and that reduces the total electors in this election to this particular number. And if you uh, divide that by half, then Donald Trump surpasses that number. And then we're going to throw it to the House of Representatives because the Democrats are going to lose their minds. And so this is like uh, insurrection via chaos. (laughs) And we're going to create chaos. And out of that is going to be an overthrowing of the will of the people. To to go back to that redo thing, I just want to read this quote because it's an important quote. We, We all need to remember this. We all need to bear this in mind and pass this along to anyone who needs to hear it. Trump said, and this is right before the uh, 2020 election. This is an ancient history. This is uh, about a year ago. Trump said, we are going to win four more years. And then after that, we'll go for another four years because they spied on my campaign. We should get a redo of four years. This is a is proof positive that, that he folks. wants yeah he wants to become president again and he wants to remain president indefinitely and he's going to do whatever he has to do in order to do that. We are talking about someone with antisocial personality disorder. He is a sociopath. He does not care. He has no emotional connection to anything. He's driven entirely by this weird toxic optimism and this megalomania that says no matter what happens it's all about me me me. And uh, and that's why he's going to run again. In fact, uh, Muggsy and uh, Bob Woodward, uh, the authors of this new book, <laughs> Peril. And Kimberly and I call him Muggsy. Robert Costa. I can't we, not call him Muggsy. Now. You've <laughs> he done looks, this to me. Am I wrong? I'm does like, he, oh, there's Muggsy. Does he not look like a Muggsy? He totally looks like a Muggsy to me. Robert Costa, absolutely <laughs> yeah. Muggsy. So Muggsy and, uh, and Bob Woodward wrote this book, and they've been explaining in the last couple of days about how this isn't a crisis. This is a national security emergency, yeah. which to me is more dire than a crisis. Uh, CNN's John Berman asked uh, Woodward, he said, uh, your last two words circled right here in the book, peril remains. Sorry, spoiler warning. Those are the final words in the book. Bob, why is this so important? Well, uh, Bob Woodward said, well, because Trump is out there. Bob Costin and I think he's going to run again. He clearly has support. Some of the polling shows he would beat Joe Biden. Now, Trump is out there. We have democracy. Anyone can run for president. But we know what he did for four years, Woodward continued. And what he did is not worry enough about the people in the country, worried about his own political standing, his impulses. And I think the basic theme of our book is his actions were not just a problem in the United States. It was a national security emergency. Yeah. Good we, guy. I mean, we've been yeah. saying that all along. Oh, yeah. We've yeah. known that the guy was probably, like, sending, <clears throat> you know, every transcripts of FBI board of directors meetings to yeah. Sergei Lavrov, you know, in exchange for more bronzer or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, to me, it's uh, it's something that we've all been saying. But to hear it from someone like Bob Woodward or even Muggsy, for that matter— Uh, carries a whole new weight to it because Mm. they really, I mean, of all the journalists out there who've published books over the last four years, I mean, Bob Woodward really prides himself on trying to be as objective as possible with his uh, journalism. And I think that uh, gives him a particular uh, gravitas. It gives him a particular heft when it comes to saying things like, Donald Trump represents a national emergency, a national security emergency. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot different, I think, uh, David, than, uh, than some of us uh, fire eaters mm. <laughs> blurting it on this, uh, on this show. Well, I know that, that, that some people think, like these two, think that he's going to run again. I do not think so because he's making so much money yeah. pretending to run. Mm-hmm. And then once he starts to run, his money is constrained. Yeah. 
And there are other candidates for it. And right. there are other candidates. <laughs> and Michael Cohen, there's a Business Insider interview with Michael Cohen, and he goes, he doesn't want to be a two-time loser. He's just using it to make money. Mm-hmm. I, I, and you know what? I really hope that's true. And in fact, you're not the first person I respect who has observed that. I think um, uh, Hal Sparks said something along those lines on his show. I mean, he really doesn't think Trump is going to try again. I, I don't think so. There's, he's making more money now than he's ever made in his life yeah. pretending to run for president. You know, that may be uh, 100% accurate. And I hope you guys are both correct. My th- issue is, and I think I've explained this on the show in the past, so forgive me for repeating myself, but, uh, well, that's never stopped me. But I look, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel as though I would rather err on the side of he's running again and be prepared for that than to be blindsided because we think he's not going to run again. That's kind of my personal approach. I think we need to keep close scrutiny on him. Absolutely. Not not like a Haberman kind of scrutiny, but but I feel like it's just, it's too much work. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like to work. I know. You know, he just wanted to win. He didn't want to actually do the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like the thing that I keep going back to, and that's a really good point, uh, David, because it's like when you graduate from college, the idea of going back to college after several years in the private sector, <laughs> doing uh, yeah. work and living on your own, going back to college would be like, oh, f- I got to go back and do that again. I got to be told what yeah. to do by the homework. I got to do homework again. Are you kidding? I can understand that attitude, and it seems like that would be a logical reason for Donald Trump never to run again. I mean, I I would much prefer playing golf at Mar-a-Lago and screaming and flailing my arms around and banging pots and pans together to get all the attention. I would much rather do that than to be president again. But it's the the way Woodward and Muggsy have been describing it is – uh, something that I've, you know, I even studied in college. My area of concentration in my political science curriculum was uh, the American presidency. And one of the things that uh, really drives people to want to become president and to remain president is, is they end up getting drunk on the power. I mean, the power mm-hmm. is, mm. is so intoxicating, well, especially once you're there. The trappings of the White House, the power of the bully pulpit, the ability to exact more change in the country than you could have ever done otherwise. That's immensely uh, addictive to the people who get there. And that's why it's so impressive that we have had such a long history of presidents conceding their power to the next president, that peaceful transfer of power, the thing that Donald Trump, for the first time in our history, completely disrupted through a violent, uh, extra-constitutional, extra-legal invasion of the Capitol building, which not not even Andrew Jackson, and Andrew Jackson is like Donald Trump's hero uh, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, But he's still, Andrew Jackson's the guy that Donald Trump sort of relates to. And I think with some good reason and some bad reason. But suffice to say, Andrew Jackson didn't even do that. And Andrew Jackson did kind of get screwed by John Quincy Adams in that election. (laughs) I mean, there was kind of a screwing that happened there. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it, and he could have done it. I mean, this is the guy, Andrew Jackson was the guy who threatened the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, now, now see if you can enforce your ruling there, Supreme Court. Also, we're hearing now uh, from Muggsy in particular uh, the other day on MSNBC. I was talking about Steve Bannon's participation in all of this. Muggsy said, uh, you look at January 5th, uh, we discovered that Steve Bannon, the former White House strategist, was there at the Willard Hotel blocks from the White House with Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Having an almost uh, war room type meeting with other Trump allies the evening before the January 6th insurrection. And Bannon had actually been in close touch with President Trump for days before January 6th. Based on our reporting, he privately told President Trump to have a reckoning on January 6th. And he said to the president, it's time to kill the Biden presidency in the crib. These are people who will stop at <laughs> nothing. Because in their fucking win. metaphors, like strangle in the bathtub, <laughs> you know, like murder in the crib. It's like, <laughs> you know, it just says so much about their inner lives. But like, It really does. Um, yeah. 
but that's but, how they see I, this. They see this as a as a war. They see they're they're fighting this as a war. They feel as though their power in this country is dying. The culture is becoming more liberal. The people in this country, the demographics, are becoming more brown, for lack of a better term, and that's freaking out the white power base in this country. And rightfully and so, they should be freaking out. Civil war, yeah, the civil war, and it's like you guys are not tough enough for war. No, right. no. All right, like I mean, it just you won't even wear a strip of fabric over your face for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten really like one of my jobs, the bakery, where we have people, come, you know, foot traffic all day. Mm-hmm. So we now keep a bask a basket of masks by the door, and if someone comes in without one. It's become my job now to turn around and be like, sir or ma'am, we got to ask you to put on a mask, please. Yeah. And pretty much people obey me. I think they look in my <laughs> eyes and they're like, yeah. yeah. Well, how would they says. not, man? I mean, those giant well, teeth. Like, like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm like, you know, can I get you to put on a mask? And he goes, no. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then you can leave. I mean, anyone who saw you rip the shit out of that Jurassic Park Jeep when it was raining that night, (laughs) I mean, knows we're not going to screw around with this guy with the whole mask thing. You you could actually do that. You could, like, farm yourself out to scare the shit out of (laughs) anti-maskers, (laughs) anti-vaxxers. Can I tell you a story? My friend um, who lives in Alabama, he went to a hotel in Mississippi last weekend by himself, and he's masked up. He's a cancer survivor. He's gotten his booster shot, so yay. Mm -hmm. Um, And Alabama's terrible, so is Mississippi when it comes to their COVID stuff. So he's at this hotel, and he went down to get some pizza. So he waited for four elevators to finally be empty. You know, he waited four times. Finally gets on the elevator to go up to his room, and on the next floor up, this couple walk in, and he said they look kind of (laughs) fancy. You know, like well off. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither one was wearing a mask. He was. And the woman scoffed. She went, <laughs> I guess you ain't from here, are you? Oh, and he looked at her and he said, oh, honey, I'm from here. Um, and I wear a mask to not only protect myself, but to protect you. And by the way, if you're not wearing a mask, thin the herd. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Shit. I told him, I said, I, I probably would have said, oh, bless your heart. You're the party of killing people. I'm the party of keeping people alive. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're man. 18 months into this thing. No we're shit. more than that, you know? And I'm just like, and like, they, when some people that just look at you like they don't even understand what you just said. Yeah. Like I when know. you put on a mask and they're like, what? And I'm like, will you put. Yeah. Really, yeah. asshole? Really? I have run out of adjectives to describe how frustrating and uh, this is and how much rage it fills me with. Every day that goes by, I, I feel like uh, no, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, this is going to continue on and on. In fact, uh, Dr. Erwin Redliner was on uh, yeah. Stephanie this morning and was saying yeah. that you know he's hearing... It's uh, endemic. It's yeah. an endemic disease. It's going to be like the flu. I said it a year ago. I'm like, we're, we're not going to get out of this. Yeah, thing. exactly. And that's what he but was saying. But it's the fucking murder hornet of flus. I no mean, shit. It, yeah, well, he, he says he's, he's talking about colleagues who are saying we're stuck with this. This is going to be yeah. a few years at least yeah. that we're going to be dealing oh, with COVID God. now. Like, oh, oh, it's because of it's so bad. It's because yeah. of these horrible, horrible people and their inability to just fucking do their duty for their society and their community and their families yep. and their friends. And and they just they keep refusing. It's the selfishness. It's the Trumpism in this country is. that is. I mean, you talk about a pandemic. We have a pandemic of Trumpism in this country. Where for four years this guy said, "Hey, you know what? All that self indulgent behavior that you want to engage in, have at it. I'm with you." The racism, say whatever you need to say. I'm fully in support of it. In fact, I'm going to say you're very fine people if you express that. If you run a car into a group of protesters, you're very fine people. This is the kind of nonsense that we were, and this is the kind of thing that a lot of us were warning about. Not only, you know, the national security problems, not only the, the problems in terms of our institutions and the tearing down of our institutions, but the very fact that we had a president who had zero decorum, no interest whatsoever in setting a positive example for whether it's young people or old people or people in between. He didn't care. So now we have an entire society of people who are allowing their worst instincts to flourish. Because they feel as though, well, the president said it was okay. And that is so toxic and so utterly, I know this means the same thing, so poisonous to the proper functioning of a democratic republic. It's beyond anything we could have uh, imagined at this point. Because now 
Now it's not just uh, we're going to scream and yell at people in a department store. We're going to worsen a global pandemic to the point where the responsible people are going to have to hide out like hermits in their apartments while we act like idiots and destroy ourselves. <laughs> you know, that's right. that's the, the long-term effects. That's the long shadow of Trumpism in this country. All right, <laughs> we're going to take a uh, short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this uh, lawsuit, Trump is suing Mary Trump and the New York Times. We're going to get into that. And uh, a couple more insurrection bits and, and all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, yeah, Mike Flynn thinking there's a salad dressing conspiracy. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> and a whole lot more right after these words. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. If you love and you don't, you could leave, but you won't. Why not try not to care just like him? Well, it seems such a waste, cause the love that you trace is not there. Whoever's singing here is Go, awesome. Go, Jody. Yeah. God damn. It's, what a it, fucking amazing band this is. Isn't this great? Holy well, shit. What's, I what's, want a whole album. Yeah. What's funny was when we, we did it, right? I mean, I sent you the dry vocal, and I sent that to Chesney, too. And he goes, you're a brave girl sending a dry vocal. <laughs> but it's still, it sounded amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't was, send that a dry vocal, but it was good. It yeah. Was, I could, you know. And, and so when we started doing the uh, backgrounds and the harmonies, the word better, when she sings, you better stay away. Uh-huh. That fucking harmony is so high. <laughs> mm. But you nail it. And you so when it. we first when we first did it, I was like, let's just leave better out. So yeah. Lonnie did the mix and sent it to me. I said, yeah, I need to sing the better. <laughs> and he goes, yes, you do. And I said, and I've been singing in the afternoons because the phlegm in my throat tends to go away in, later in the day. <laughs> and phlegm will know. get in Good the way. Know. It will get in the way of singing high notes. Yeah. And so he was down the street at our neighbors helping his him out. And I, I was like, I, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. So I just just did it on my own. Wow. I went, nice. I, have, I gave you seven betters. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I only need a few. And I'm like, okay. And so, and it worked. So I was like, thank God, because I can't do that again. It's I don't have any balls to crunch to do it. I mean, it's just. (laughs) Well, it's incredible. What do you intend to do with this? Are you going to release this as a single at some point or what's going on with it? I just wanted to cut, because what happened was about a little over a month ago, Chesney texted me because he's releasing um, a bunch of videos from songs that he has done in the past, including the Baby Jane video, which yeah. I produced for him years ago. And um, he's like, do you have a good copy of it? Because the YouTube copy isn't very good. Plus, it's got scratchy mm-hmm. um, vocal on it, which is not, I don't know how that got uploaded that way because I didn't do it. Um, and I said, let me see if I have a tape. Yeah. You know, so Let me see if I have a Digibeta tape of it because if I do, then that's the highest quality. Digibeta. So I'm looking... I'm looking for everything, and I do have his original recording, so I knew I could at least fix the YouTube audio. Mm-hmm. And I had ripped the YouTube video just in case, and I was trying. Lonnie and I were trying to fix that too, and it was like no. And yeah. I finally found a, a VHS copy, which was the only, you know, I barely played it on a VHS machine mm-hmm. in the past because we shot that video in 2000, so that's wow. how old the song is. And um, so I 
put it in a VHS and I'm watching it. I'm like, well, it ain't digi, but mm-hmm. it's better than what was on YouTube. Yeah. And so I ripped that and I gave it to him digitally. So he came over and I said, do you mind if I cover the song? And he goes, oh, I like the LGBT aspect of it. Mm. Um, because mm. if you listen to the second <clears throat> verse, it's all about the singer wanting this person to get away from Baby Jane so that that person can be with Baby Jane. I see. Okay. And um, so <laughs> he goes, oh, I like that. And I said, well, if I suck, I won't play it for anybody. Yeah. He's like, okay. And it took a month for me to kind of get my uh, uh, courage up. Mm-hmm. And then Lonnie had done the music. And so I, he, I said, send me the music because it starts, you know, without the music. So he sent me, you know, how to start in. And I started listening to it and listening to it and listening to it. And then I finally, I recorded it on my own on my mixing board without Lonnie home. Wow. I was like, let me just see if I can do this because (laughs) how Lonnie usually likes me to do things is line by line. Yeah. And a song like that, you kind of need to sing the song Mm -hmm. and then fix. And we did fix some of my lead vocals, but it wasn't how he normally records. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wanted him to have a scratch to go, this is how I sound singing the song. And I did that mm-hmm. scratch in one take. I mean, it wasn't a bunch uh, of takes. It was incredible. one take. Yeah. And um, so I was, I was like, it's not great, but it's okay. That's why I sent it to Chesney. He goes, brave girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just outstanding work. And, uh, and the, uh, you must, you, you must know. let us know. You must let us know when there's a place where people can go and listen to it. Cause the next time I'm going to play it is on the indie music countdown, which would be, let's see, what am I going to do the next one? Yeah. It'll be uh, month, not right? this yeah. weekend, but the next, yeah, it'll be right. probably October 3rd ish right around there. So, uh, but I mean, in the meantime, uh, I'm I sure people want to hear it. Bonnie is such a producer. I mean, if, mm-hmm. when it's time for the Astral Summer album, whenever that is going to be, <laughs> The first major request I'm going to be is like I want Lonnie on the boards, but yeah. he's going to have to let me record multiple lines at a time. I can't. Well, do I mean, you know, and I told him I said I can't do. It. So when we did some of the punching, he's like, "Let's see which sounds better." Mm. And you know, and not every time was the mm-hmm. first take, but it was a lot of my first take that he did utilize. And, yeah. and luckily, he didn't have to tune me too much um uh cuz he did uh, <laughs> i will admit to that well it's um, everyone does that i mean that's it goes back years yeah. and years and years i mean that's something that's just standard if you got the it. tool use it yeah yeah i mean nowadays it's like if you have i mean i cuz i i grew up don't be lazy sing it right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> that's me um but i mean if it you know it's just like a half a note it's mm. like okay fine and it, yeah. I, I don't sound like a keyboard which is important right right um, yeah you were using it for the auto-tune aspect of it exactly like, yeah. exactly yeah. and and so i mean it was it's and what's funny because the original has this guitar solo in it mm-hmm. um between the 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 second chorus and the bridge yeah and he took it out he goes kids don't like to listen to that <laughs> <laughs> okay, sad. <laughs> they don't. So sad. Hey, you know what? Um, in fact, speaking of LGBTQ uh, issues and this particular song, uh, just relating this to what we were just talking about in the previous segment, you know this guy, John Eastman, who wrote the Eastman Memo, uh-huh. outlining the stages of the, you know, the overthrow of our government and the overthrow of our election. This Eastman guy was also the head of this anti-LGBTQ group. Because of because of course he was, and and that's right. I think one of the reasons oh, why John Eastman. Wait, that's his name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, the oh, Long- Los Angeles him. Blade has a piece about him out uh, right now. Head of anti LGBTQ group worked with Trump to overturn the election. Eastman, who is the chairman of NOM, the National Organization for Marriage, tried to convince then Vice President Pence that he could overturn the election results. Yada yada yada. But yeah, <laughs> Eastman is the is the head of NOM. As in nom nom nom, yeah, they were much they were bit much busier in the late nineties and early two thousands. But they were one of those groups that was going around sharing all these bullshit, yeah, statistics, quote unquote, about how you know queer people were more likely to molest children, which is mm. not true, right? Right. Right. Uh, well, he was there. He was there on January sixth uh, at the ellipse. Of course, he was giving remarks at like- the same podium that Trump used with Rudy Giuliani sitting right there. He's wearing a stupid fedora and uh, talking in front of the White House. Yeah, he was all in. Yeah. All in. Yeah, the Eastman Memo. That's going to be things that are, you know, your great-great-grandchildren are going to be reading about in history books. Uh, hopefully from... Uh, from, from <laughs> like they're going to have books. I know. <laughs> uh, from the perch of actually having schools and democracy. When they stand around the 
the oil fire in the old trash barrel. <laughs> right. uh, and the radioactive snow pelts oh, their old heads. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, meantime, some good news here. The Guardian reports that subpoenas are coming this week. In fact, uh, this is good news on a couple of different fronts. What they're going to basically do, not only are they going to issue subpoenas, but they're skipping this whole part where they're going to request, oh, can you come yeah, and testify? They nicely. Yeah, yeah, forget it. No, I mean, just to compel the fuckers. Yeah. It's the only way it's going to happen. Scoop, Jan 6 Select Committee, considering issuing subpoenas this week for Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Deputy Chief Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino, by the way, also the guy who wrote a lot of Donald Trump's tweets. And former Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale. Oh, how sad for Brad Parscale. Yes. One of my favorite people in the world. The guy from the Death Star. The guy who got so unceremoniously (laughs) tackled to the ground by cops in front of his house. Oh, too bad for him. How sad. Uh, So, good. Good. This is all happening. Um, I feel like it's not swift enough. It's not harsh enough. But whatever happens, I, I guess we got to take it. But meantime, Donald Trump's doing his best to say, hey, look over here. Clang, clang, clang. I'm banging all these pots and pans together. See? Look at me now. And he's suing Mary Trump and the New York Times. <laughs> which is so phenomenally dumb. He's going to lose this so badly. Yeah. Especially if you read her book and you know how yeah. she came into possession of those documents. Right. It right. was an accident. <laughs> like You don't plan to accidentally stumble across an entire identical set of documents to the ones that are evidence in mm-hmm. your trial. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's just not something that, I mean, you re, if you read the book, like, it's very clear that she stumbled upon these things and just threw them in the truck and took them home and yeah. was just like, whatever I'm going to do with these. And then Suzanne Craig showed up at her door. Oh, yeah. Well, this is him trying to enforce his flimsy, shitty NDAs. But the other thing that this does is it calls attention to this New York Times piece once again because it all has to do with this uh, this major, major bombshell article. Uh, let's see, when did this come out again? This is October 2nd, 2018. This is David Barstow, Susan Craig, as you said, David, and Russ Butner. And uh, with Mary Trump contributing some, uh, some documents and things uh, as part of all of this. And so uh, the thing that really is stupid on behalf of Donald Trump is the notion that, well, now everyone's taking another look at this article in the New York Times. Right. And in this article, when there's less noise. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So now everyone's going back. Well, what was this Times piece about anyway? I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Trump got all this money from Fred Trump. Oh, and that's right. Tax fraud. Oh, and that's right. Stock market manipulation. That's all detailed right here. It's one of the biggest bombshell articles about Donald Trump and the main thing that he prides himself on. Everything about his wealth and status is bullshit. It is 100% bullshit. Donald Trump is not a self-made man. He was a millionaire by the time he was 12 or whatever it was. I think it was like something ludicrous, like age eight or something like that. He was already a millionaire because he was collecting money from, uh, from his dad. And then on top of that, it talks about how he and Fred Trump were manipulating the stock market using a process called green mailing, or I think it's also called sometimes pump and dump, where they take a position on a stock and then they use the they exploit the press by telling people in the business press that, oh, we're going to do a hostile takeover of this business. That's why we're buying up all this stock. So they buy up all the stock. They release it in the press. They say, well, look, here's what we're going to do. And so the stock price keeps going up and up and up. And then, of course, once it gets to a certain level, they bail out and they never take over the business and they abandon the stock and then the stock crashes and burns. And that's pump and dump. And that's what Donald Trump was doing. That's what Donald Trump, I, I theorize, that's what Donald Trump was doing during his presidency. Remember, for the longest time, there were these weird things where he would do something related to uh, his trade war with China. He would make an announcement, and then the stock market would go crazy. And it seemed weirdly timed. Like, it got to the point where he's saying these things, and then something happens to uh, the stock market. And it's so coincidental. William Cohan, this investigative reporter, uh, looked into it and saw that there was a pattern, especially in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. It's another thing that is getting flushed down the memory hole that we're never going to get to the bottom of. I mean, so many things. Just based on the fact that we had the pandemic and then the insurrection, 
back to back like that, it's kind of erasing from our memories everything that happened before, mm. which is uh, which is not good. But I mean, obviously, we send out all of our uh, well wishes and and uh, rounds of applause for Mary Trump, our good friend Mary Trump. Fun stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. So uh, please, by all means, Donald Trump, uh, continue to call attention to this New York Times article. Good job. Trump always making things worse for Trump. Um, Meantime, Mike Flynn thinks there's a salad dressing conspiracy. (laughs) He heard somewhere, he doesn't know where, but it's enough to say out loud on his show that uh, the liberals want to put the vaccine into salad dressing. (laughs) Yep. That's our so, that's our diabolical plan. That is our plan. Lord knows, I you do not get between a Trump supporter and a salad bar. Yeah, here's a uh, Mike will Flynn. Elbow you in the face. <laughs> here's Mike Flynn talking about this salad dressing conspiracy. You know, somebody sent me a thing this morning where they're talking about putting the vaccine into salad dressing or salads. Oh. Have you seen this? Yes. <laughs> Have you seen this? I mean, it's and I'm and I'm thinking to myself. Wait, wait. I, pause it for a second. <laughs> What's worse to me is that the other guy has seen it, too. Yeah, the other guy's like, yes, it's what like the fuck? random bullshit. It's like, you know, I just pulled this weird Martian brain-eating story out of my ass. I read that, too. Like, uh. This is the bizarre world, right? This is definitely the bizarre world. So Yes, I, I heard this thing that is completely not true, and so I'm going to get outraged about this. And I'm going to telegraph this to all of our listeners and whatever the fuck podcast they're doing. And this is the kind of bullshit that they market. This is the entire, this is their bread and butter. They are selling disinformation like this. There's no one, no one is talking about putting fucking the vaccine in salad dressing. It's the most insane thing in the world. I mean, my guess, and I- It's like an ivermectin thing. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, they're also, they're, they're huffing hydrogen peroxide now. It's not just they're oh not just God. drinking it, but they're they're oh huffing it. Oh my God! Oh my Jesus God! Oh my God! Oh my God. I'm telling you, eventually oh they're going to land on the fucking v- Pfizer vaccine. At at some point, they're yeah. going to go down the list so far deep into it, they're going to be like, okay, uh, ivermectin, uh, beta dye, horseshoe their effect, horseshoe effect their way back around to taking the vaccine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, look, there's a vaccine over here. Maybe we should try that. Meantime. Uh, Florida Republicans, Florida Republicans are fucked up. And this is episode gazillion of this story. Uh, Florida's new Surgeon General has ruled that schools will not require students to quarantine after COVID-19 exposure, leaving parents to make the decision. And as we know, parents always know the best thing for their kids, right? Right. Jesus Christ. This, this is, is just, madness. A stroke. I don't understand like why you <laughs> want to kill as many people as possible. Children. They're kids. They're kids. Okay. Yeah. My kid has tested positive for COVID-19, but I think it's just the flu. So fuck it. Go back to school. And then, you know, Timmy goes back to school and gives all the kids and their teachers COVID. And, and some Wendy, of them die. COVID who takes it home to her grandmother who lives with their family. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I, again, they keep moving the goalposts. This is another instance where it's not just, well, we don't know about this mask. And thing. they're just it's so a, vested in it. And yeah. I'm like, when do you stop? When mm-hmm. do I mean, how many of your radio hosts have to die? I know. Like how many, how full do the hospitals have to get? How much care has to be rationed in Idaho and Alaska? Yep. Yeah. To where someone who gets in a car accident has a broken femur, can't get an x-ray. <sighs> right. Right. You know, I just keep going back to the fact that there was a a time when I was writing, and this is mainly in 2016, maybe into early 2017, I was writing a lot about the impending idiocracy with the rise of Donald Trump. (laughs) And uh, my editor at Salon at the time was like, after maybe a dozen of those kinds of articles, idiocracy's coming, guys, and here's another reason why. My editor was like, okay, enough of the idiocracy, Bob. (laughs) Like, well, it's happening, it's happening, and we're seeing yeah. it now. This is exactly the same. We all joke about this, but this is exactly the same as deciding we're going to put uh, sports drinks on the crops because the sports drinks have electrolytes and all the good things that are nutritious and fun. And yeah, so, plants crave. Yeah, plants crave the electrolytes. So here, we're going to put this. And why, why, why do we have a crop shortage? Why do we not have produce in this country anymore? Oh, it's they don't realize it's because they're putting the sports drinks on the. And, and so, 
they're doing it. They're literally doing the Brondo on the crops, yep. except it's, uh, it, what, what in this case, what did we just say? They're huffing she hydrogen did. peroxide. You know, it's just, okay, maybe if we huff hydrogen peroxide, it's going to make COVID-19 a novel virus. It's going to make it go away. <clears throat> no, no, no. No, you fucking idiots. It's happening. It's happening. And I tried to, I tried to <laughs> warn people. I actually wasn't in the bakery today when there was a family that wouldn't put on masks. Well, they, you know, the cash, the person behind the counter was like, could you put on a mask? And like the mom and the kids started to, and the father was like, is that non-negotiable? And she was yeah. like, and the, and the girl, woman behind the counter was like, it's science, sir. It's not negotiable. It's, yeah. it's science. And then one of the guys in the back was like, it's science, sir. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, hopefully this will continue on and they will continue to be shamed. Buzz and I were talking on Tuesday. And and by the way, we're late for a break. We're going to get to that in a second. But Buzz and I were talking on Tuesday about how it's got to come down to, and this is about COVID. It's about everything else too. It comes down to the same process that was used with cigarette smokers to you know basically reduce the amount of people who are buying cigarettes and dying of cancer because that of it. It kills people a lot more slowly than what's happening now. Yeah, yeah. But what we did is I think through the advertising, through the lawsuits, just through society. I think what we did is we shamed the notion of cigarette smoking being a, you know, a cool thing to do or something that is part of our society that we all have to live with whether we're smokers or not. And that was kind of shamed almost out of existence. I mean, I know quite a few people still smoke, but it's far fewer than did 20 you years just ago. Just like smoke while you shop at the mall. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I, I remember Hospitals. smoking. Yeah. Yeah. I remember smoking. I've smoked on an airplane. That's how, yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, I have. It was Absolutely. maybe once, but it still happened. I mean, I smoked yeah. for 17 years until I think the shame got the best of me. Now, you know what it was? You know why I quit smoking? I started bike riding. I quit smoking in 2007. I started bike mm -hmm. riding. And it dawned on me when I was stopping halfway through my bike ride to smoke a cigarette, this is the <laughs> dumbest <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> you know? That's intense, Bob. That's Here I intense. am. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would bring a, I'd wear a backpack and I'd have, you know, some stuff in there and have some food and then I'd have a pack of cigarettes. I, here I am trying to improve my cardio. Oh no, <laughs> my my sister, my sister Carrie, she would work out for like three hours in a gym mm -hmm. with a trainer, you know, strength training, aerobics, all this stuff, and then immediately as soon as she left, she would start smoking. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I did that. Oh well, a lot of people do that to keep yeah. the weight off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean, smoking will tamp down your appetite, you know, harder than just about anything except oh, for yes. like cocaine or speed. You mm -hmm. know, and yeah. so. <laughs> lots of I know lots of like model type people and stuff that work out and then go immediately smoke. Yeah. And you guys know the shame, though, too, because you, you see it still. Even if you're not a smoker, you still see the smokers out there on like a rainy day or like a super cold day under the awning, you know, shivering and just like <laughs> trying desperately to suck down the cigarette before they, you know, get pneumonia. And that's the illustration of where we are as a society now. And I believe Gotta that can tell you happen. Though, there is no more effective way to get the gossip and then get the inner, <laughs> inner departmental yeah, yeah. breakdown of what's happening in any organization. Go <laughs> to the smoking area and talk to them because there's going to be someone from every single branch. Right, right, right. There'll be some, like, be like an executive. <laughs> there'll be like, you know, yeah. Well, I see, I justified it. I, I used to stop and take a break from work to smoke a cigarette and, <laughs> I used to justify it by saying, well, it gets me on my feet and moving around and I go out and I take a little break from the stress <laughs> for a while. You know, it's like the bullshit that you promise to yourself to get away with it, to make yourself feel better about this terrible, you know, habit that's going to kill you. I mean, it's not and a habit. It's not a habit. It's an addiction. It's an addiction as strong as a heroin addiction. And they make it that way. That was so diabolical. And I knew it. I knew how diabolical the tobacco companies were. That they were spiking the tobacco to make the addiction stronger, make the hit faster oh, yeah. and more appealing so that you would mm. want more and more and more. And that was so fucking sinister. And I knew it. I knew it for at least half the time in which I was smoking. I knew that I was being fucked with, and I did it anyway because the addiction was telling me to do it anyway and giving me it's excuses. Kind of like Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, the addiction exactly would actually like Facebook. Actually. Yeah. But are we late for a break? Yes, we're way late for a break. Okay, <laughs> back with more. <coughs> back with more show after these words. 
You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Bob Seska. Must have been in late September when last I climbed Reunion Hill. I fell asleep on Indian Boulder and dreamed a dream I will not tell. I came home as the sun went down when I trained. The great C.C. Grace right here. Reunion Hill covering Richard Schindel. ccgrace.net. The song is not available yet. You know what? Because I get all the juicy previews of all of this great music. Uh, But I understand. She's just so good. She is just tremendous. Her voice is like a big gulp of cold, clean spring water. You know? It's just like, it's always got that fresh... You know, like, right. I don't know. She's yeah. amazing. Oh, I know. And I, I think she's going to be including this song on her next record. So this is uh, something that we can all look forward to. But in the meantime, you can support her music by going to ccgrace.net. Link in the description, of course, uh, to support CC and, of course, all of our other indie bands here on the show. Okay. So, yeah, I was, uh, we were talking about cigarettes before the break. And um, it, it really is an addiction. And the addiction is so powerful that the addiction talks to you in your head and gives you talking points about why oh, yeah. you should keep smoking. All addictions do that. Yeah. They all do yeah. that. They're like, oh, you're more creative when you have a few drinks. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 You're prettier when you have a few drinks. Mm-hmm. No, right. wait. Other people are prettier when you have a few drinks. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the five stages of drunkenness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of doing weird things on an airplane, uh, they're contemplating. The uh, the White House is now contemplating a domestic flight vaccination mandate. Good. So, I mean, because it's a it's huge illness vector. I mean, just yeah. in terms of epidemiologists will tell you that jet travel has been like the epidemiologist's fucking nightmare from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Because people are crammed into a, a container with a finite amount of air. Mm-hmm. And it gets recirculated, and then you dump them out at a place, and they all go in different directions. And it just, uh, Yep. Yeah. Well, Fauci said in particular, if you want to get on an airplane and travel with other people, you should be vaccinated. And then following up on that, uh, White House COVID-19 response coordinator Jeff Zeintz, is that is that how you pronounce his uh, last name? Zeintz? Zeintz? See, that's how prominent he is. It's I Zeintz. have no idea how to s- pronounce his last name. <laughs> Maybe this guy should be on television a little more often so we know how to say Anytime his name. Anytime you've got a TZ or like that kind of thing, it's Germanic and you go with the second vowel. Okay, Jeff, Z-I-E-N-T-S. I'm going with Zeintz. So it's Zeist then. Zeintz. Jeff Zeintz. Okay, see, now you're confusing me. Okay. we're just. You know what? I'm going to stick with my first instinct. I'm going to go with Zeintz, David. You can okay, go with fine. Zeintz. He, well, he was announcing the international requirement on Monday, and then he fed speculation by refusing to rule out an eventual domestic travel requirement. He said, we're not taking any measures off the table. So I hope that becomes a real thing. Because yet again, another good incentive for people to I think to get it might vaccinated. once Moderna and J&J are also fully authorized. Yeah, I think they'll yeah. be like, now we got to do it. 
Right, right. Uh, the New York City subway system is going to be start imposing a $50 fine for riding the subway without a mask. So okay. more good news along these good. lines. And, and, I, and slowly the world is closing in on the shirkers. And uh, I imagine as that trash compactor gets tighter and tighter, they're going to freak out more and more often. So get ready for more videos on Twitter of people randomly freaking out, beating up maitre d's, uh, going bananas in coffee shops and restaurants. Uh, we've seen several of these kinds of videos uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, and uh, I imagine that's going to get a lot worse. Uh, meantime, <clears throat> if you're following the, <sighs> the super exciting debt limit battle... <laughs> It's going to take place or is taking place right now. The brinksmanship continues. The House passed legislation to fund the government, of course, through December 3rd and extend the debt limit until after the 2022 elections in a party line vote with no Republicans supporting the bill. The fiscal package is needed to avoid a government shutdown and a first ever default on the U.S. debt. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I say that. With, they don't even have an end game. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, it's or a set of demands. Mm -hmm. You know, every time they've pulled this garbage before, it's been to stop Obamacare or to yeah. do something. They mm -hmm. had some objective, you know, but like this time it's just like, I think like Maddow said last night, she's like, it's for Niners. Yeah. You know, like it's just, we don't want to. Yeah. Well, no. has to stop because we're having a tantrum. Yeah, exactly. Well, they what, what they want to do is damage Biden as much as they can because they know the default now, especially when there's a Democratic president, the default is always to blame the president. No matter what happens, the Democratic president gets the mm -hmm. blame for it. And that's the way it's going to go here. It didn't matter with Afghanistan. The Donald, this was Donald Trump's fucking bug out plan. Uh, and then it was like, okay, well, now we're going to get pissed off at uh, Joe Biden over this and make it seem as if Donald Trump didn't want to end the forever wars, as he used to call them. You know, this is how everything defaults back into the laps of the Democrats, unfairly in most cases. And, uh, and so they're counting on that. Mitch McConnell is counting on that. If there's something with a government shutdown, it's going to be Joe Biden's fault. And you're going to see, by and large, People like Chuck Todd and the usual suspects. Why doesn't Joe Biden do anything? Why can't he? La, 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 la. <sighs> but uh, all right. So uh, that's it. Uh, we're going to move to the David. You know what? We changed the name of the postmortem show. Are you aware of this? Did we talk about this when before no, you uh, no. were on break? What's it called? The, the new name of the postmortem show is the Shadow Docket. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, the, the Shadow Docket uh, title, I think, has a sense of mystery, and that's why, we, uh, that's why we like it. I think that's why everyone kind of voted for it on our Patreon page. But uh, on the Shadow Docket, we've got Kirsten Cinema News, and it's fun, Kirsten Cinema News. Fun. Yeah. Don't you pop a Spanx? <laughs> Jesus, no. No, it's not that fun, but it's still fun. <laughs> Um, plus, we've got an example of what millions of Americans are hearing on the radio every day. I don't know if you guys saw this clip that's been floating around Twitter of Dennis Prager, uh, this talk radio host who's obviously a Trump supporter and a maniac. We're going to be, but he's a, like a calm sounding maniac, which is really disarming. Got an example of what he's been saying recently. And we're going to take a look at that uh, audio clip coming up here on the, on the uh, shadow. Uh, you know what? I almost said postmortem show. It's coming up on the uh, the Shadow Docket right around the corner on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash show. If you sign up for $5 a month, you get two Shadow Docket episodes every week, one after the Tuesday show, one after the Thursday show. And you know what else? If you sign up for $15 a month, you not only get the after party on Fridays, you not only get a commercial-free version of the show you've just listened to, but you also get uh, the Shadow Docket, but you get the Shadow Docket combined with the free show into one big podcast called The Ultimate Edition. That's what we call it on the post on the uh, Patreon page. So if you want to get the ultimate edition of this show, again, commercial-free version of the free show combined with the, with the uh, not the after party, the Shadow Docket in all one chunk, just as we record it. So like when this music gets done playing, we keep on talking. When you go to listen to it, you hear it just as we recorded it. So, 
That's it. That's on our Patreon page again, bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Goth Ninjas, I love you both. We'll see you on the Shadow Docket coming up next. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Bye.